Welcome to PS, the Puget Sound podcast where we're talking with members of our campus community about their Puget Sound experiences. I'm Elena Becker and my guest today is Ruthie McBride, a junior from Los Angeles, California. Ruthie is involved in a lot of different things on campus. She's a politics and government major. She has minors in African-American studies and economics. She's had a bunch of different student leadership positions with residence life and the Office of Student Accessibility and Accommodation. You're gonna get to hear about all of this. At one point, Ruthie will reference an SSI class. All first year students will take two SSI courses, one in their first semester and one in their second semester at Puget Sound. But the topics of these classes can vary. And as you'll hear Ruthie say, hers was about Hamilton and economics. Today, as always, the Puget Sound podcast is recorded and produced by Moonyard Studio right here in Tacoma. Here's Ruthie. Ruthie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I want to kind of begin at the beginning of your time at Puget Sound. Am I right in thinking that you're from Los Angeles? That's where you grew up and went to high school? Yeah, that's where I've been born and raised my whole life. (laughs) And where did you go to high school in LA? What part of LA are you from? Um, I'm from the Valley, specifically Sherman Oaks, um, if you know of it. Um, And I went to Cleveland Humanities Magnet in Rosita. And um, when you were at Cleveland Humanities Magnet, what were you kind of thinking about in terms of going to college? Did you know you were going to go to college? Did you know the type of school you wanted to go to? How'd that shake out? Yeah, um, luckily growing up, I was in the a more privileged position to kind of always know I would go to college. Um, and academia is super important to me and my identity. So I always wanted to. Um, when I was thinking about colleges, I used to always have my mindset that I was going to go to some big state school like UCLA or one of the other UCs, or I also applied to like University of Michigan and Washington. Um, and then I applied to two liberal arts schools being (laughs) UPS and Smith college. Hmm. That's quite Um, the spread. Like some big schools and then one liberal arts college in Washington State, one liberal arts college in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, And so I toured both schools and I loved both of them. Um, And as I got down to having to decide where I wanted to go, I realized that, you know, being in L.A. public schools, there's our class sizes are huge. I remember like sitting on the floor in some of my classes and like having to compete to get seats um, just because that's the reality of public schooling. Um, And I really didn't want to be another number in a classroom, especially in college. Um, And so at the last minute, I was kind of like, well, guess I don't want to go to a big state school. And then when it came to Smith and UPS, um, when I toured UPS, I feel like because I am from the West Coast, um, I felt still kind of at home in a sense in which I feel like the attitude is generally similar throughout the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast. Um, And we kind of go about things similarly, a a little bit more relaxed. Um, and then 
I just really loved it when I came to tour. I thought it was so pretty. Um, and I met some really cool people who also go here. My best friend, Joey, actually, we met on like the visiting day, like in the spring. And we sat at the same table at like the lunch provided. And it was like me, him, my dad, and like a bunch of other people at that table. And like, little did I know he would be my best friend. Um, when I, so I'm also, I'm an alum of Puget Sound and the year that I like moved in and was kind of doing you like you do the move in and then you can go, you like go sit in the football stadium and there's a welcome speech. Um, and the, I think it was the VP of enrollment at the time, Jenny Ricard, but it might've been the president. One of the administrators who got up and spoke told a joke about like, be nice to the people sitting next to you because they might be your in-laws. Yeah. (laughs) And like the way that people laughed, you could just tell that like that hadn't occurred to anybody until that very moment. And suddenly everybody was like, whoa, like these people that I'm sort of just brushed up against might be important in my life. Yeah. It was so crazy. I've never, um, kind of had an experience like that where I met someone and then like a few, he was also from LA. So a few months later, he was also at the same, um, like where they do the hosting in like people's hometowns. Um, Mm -hmm. so you can get to meet people and, um, both of our parents were there and we were like, Oh, this is funny. Like to see you again. And then, um, we just stayed in contact and now we're super close. Um, but yeah, so I met Joey and then, um, just felt a lot more connected to UPS through like meeting people prior to, um, accepting like my admittance to the university. And then I just felt like it was really good. I'm also like very interested in studying abroad and studying abroad when it's not COVID is super <laughs> yeah, easy. That seems here. like a key part of the experience. Yes. Um, so I was supposed to go abroad a year ago, but, or no, not a year ago. I was supposed to go abroad this semester, but I'm planning on going in the fall, hopefully. Um, but that was like another big reason for me to come to UPS was I really wanted to study abroad and there's so many different programs here to choose from. So I really love that. Where are you planning to go? Um, So I am going to Copenhagen. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I just, for people listening, I just made a like OMG face Copenhagen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm really excited. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go and I'm not too savvy with learning other languages. So it's nice in Copenhagen. Almost everyone speaks English from what I've heard. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to go. Hopefully. (laughs) Big fingers crossed, but seems likely when you first moved up here from California. So I agree with you. I think it's funny because this is one of those things that is less absolute than the way people talk about it, but there definitely is a West coast culture and kind of a West coast vibe within that were there things you noticed that were different from kind of what you were used to in Southern California and then the way that the Pacific Northwest is? Yeah, the Pacific Northwest is more different than I thought it was going to be. Um, I don't know if it's a, you know, entirely California thing or just more of like the big cities in California, 
but in LA people can be like a bit snobby and are very showy, um, especially like with clothing and stuff. Um, and generally like not to like make poopy on like LA people, but like (laughs) definitely just more, judgmental I would say and then when I came up here I was expecting kind of that to stick um and everyone here was just so nice and like one thing I noticed was like people will hold the door open for you here (laughs) and like people at home don't so that was a big deal for me um also like the outdoorsy kind of naturey scene is a lot more prominent here than in LA um so I'm hopefully going camping this semester with one of my friends, which will be my first time going camping since I've been here. Um, But yeah, a lot more exploration um, of like your surroundings than I'm used to. So did the rain bother you? (laughs) You know, I didn't think it was going to bother me. And like it does, it, it does bother me quite a bit, but you like I thought it was completely absurd that no one here uses umbrellas <laughs> like I didn't I, know that. so I grew up in Washington and there is kind of this is another one of those things people like hype up more than is real but there's this thing about like oh only a loser uses an umbrella yeah it's like and kind I, of fake tough like attitude yeah yeah I came up here with two umbrellas like ready and then I realized no one used them and I was like dad, like, I need you to order me a rain jacket because like, I came up here without one. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll just use my umbrellas. <laughs> but then I quickly found out that was not the case. Um, and also just like a pro tip is getting a waterproof backpack like that. I didn't realize how much of a necessity that was until like my freshman year first semester, my backpack got completely drenched and like everything in it was wet. And I was like, well, I I can't live like this anymore. <laughs> it's so funny because since I did grow up here, like I'm sort of, I like I wouldn't even think twice about you would want a backpack that was either waterproof or like thick enough material. Because a mm-hmm. lot of the rain that happens here is like heavy mist. Like when I was a, yeah. a freshman in orientation, I remember I went on one of the camping trips. That was what I picked. And it was like the worst night I've ever spent in a tent. It rained so hard, like, you know, created little rivers, rained hard. And one of the people in my group, Mike, who was from New Jersey, was like, well, this is just normal rain. Like, this is how it rains all the, when it rains in New Jersey, this is what happens. And I was like, no, 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 this is not normal rain here. Like when people talk about it raining all the time. So it's just funny because I like you were 100% right that you want a backpack that will keep some water out, but it would yeah. never have occurred to me. I would have just been like, oh yeah, like there's mist in the air. That's kind of the way it is. Yeah, because I was, everyone in LA has Jansport backpacks. Like that's pretty common. And so I had one coming up here. And then I was like, why does nobody else have a Jansport? Um, I was like, what is with like these weirdos to find out like I was the one out and I ended up getting like a Carhartt one, which has lasted me two years and is amazing. So, but yeah, that was one of my big necessities. (laughs) 
Like what you hear? Hi, I'm Mike Rodersman, Associate Director of Admission. If you're enjoying the Puget Sound podcast, you might want to consider taking a closer look. We're currently offering a range of virtual visit activities, including virtual information sessions, snapshot tours, admitted student spotlights, and virtual open houses. And for admitted students, select in-person campus tours. There's truly something for everyone. And you can find out more at pugetsound.edu slash visit. When you first got to Puget Sound, weather aside, what were you kind of expecting? Did you have a sense of what you might major in or the kind of stuff you wanted to get involved in on campus? Or was that totally, um, totally separate for you? Yeah, I've always known I want to, well, not always, but I came into university knowing I wanted to study politics and government to some degree. Um, Not sure exactly what I wanted to do because there's a lot of different routes, especially here you can go with politics. Um, So in my first semester here, I was put in a comparative politics class and then an IPE international political economy class. And I quickly decided that like the politics and government department was for me and not really um, the IPE department just because um, IP felt a little rushed for me. And also I decided to be an American emphasis and like that has nothing to do with international politics really. So um, it just made sense. And then one of my professors freshman year, when I took my SSI one, um, I took the like Hamilton one, which kind of mixes like musical elements, but also like the history of economics at that time, um, taught by Lisa Nunn. And she's one of my favorite professors here. Um, and she is involved with the econ department. And so she was like, you should really take econ. Like, I think you would like it. Um, and I was like, oh gosh. Um, and I ended up taking econ 101 with her and really loved it. And so at that point I decided to do an econ minor. And then, um, my sophomore year, um, I took a class with Renee Sims, on um, African-American literature and I really loved it. And I've always kind of had like a niche interest in African-American literature. Um, And so at that point I decided to minor in AFAM as well. Um, I don't know if that answered the question right, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. And following along by my count, that means that you are up to a major and two minors. Yeah. Which sounds like a lot. Does it feel like, does that feel like a lot? Um, yes and no. I feel like it's definitely doable. And because I decided, like I came into college knowing that I was going to do something in politics and government, um, I was able to get quite a few um, like required classes out of the way pretty early on. So that definitely helped. Um and then my study abroad program also is supposed to add 
um, quite a few classes working towards my major and my minor. So that is also super helpful. Um, I would say the one thing in kind of being having a major and two minors being a lot is that you don't get a lot of time to take other classes, like for fun classes that people like taking. Um, but for me, like my AFAM minor is really fulfilling to me. So like I get a lot of joy from those classes um, and like most of my classes. So I don't really feel like a need to take those, but I know a few other people um, who have decided not to do as much as me because they want to have more like for fun classes and stuff. Well, and in general, I think one thing I think one helpful tip is don't major or minor in something if you don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> and like, as you've said, you know, a minor is about five classes. Usually it can vary yeah. a little bit around that depending on the department. And I think people who are successful in picking minors are the people who would want, probably want to take five AFIAM classes or five econ classes anyway, because they really like the work versus if you're someone who thinks, man, uh, I'm kind of interested in two econ classes and after that, it feels like it's getting in the way of my philosophy classes that I want to take. Yeah. You, you do kind of have to sort that out for yourself. Yeah, I knew I wanted to do more than just a few in each. And I'm with AFIM, I actually wanted to do the major, but I've realized I don't like I decided that last semester and then I, I just like don't have enough time. But so I'm actually taking more AFIM classes than my minor requires um, but yeah, I definitely would not. I know some people who seem so not happy with the subjects they've decided to go with. And I'm like, that's, it's just not worth it. Like you have to choose something you love and like you're passionate about. Well, and speaking of choosing something you love, will you take me through a couple of your favorite PNG classes or your favorite PNG experiences that you've had? Yeah. Um, PNG is interesting. It's definitely, I would say, one of the harder academics to do at UPS, in, in my humble opinion. Um, <laughs> but it does come with a lot of work and like very high standards from professors. But I appreciate that it forces me to work harder and produce better work. Um, hmm. I really had fun in my American PG 101 class, which is like the intro to American. Um, it was a visiting professor, but he was a um, finishing his PhD at University of Washington. And he was an alum of UPS. And I built just like a very close relationship with him. And have kept in touch with him, even though he's like now teaching in Chicago. Um, and he's just like continued to support me and like help me sort out what I want to do with my life, which is really amazing. And like, I don't think I would have gotten that experience at a bigger school. Um, and then in other politics and government classes, I think for me, what's exciting is to be not forced, but like you need to think very critically in these classes. Um, professors have high standards for that. And you also kind of 
in each PG class I've been in, within the niche of the class, you get to pick something generally you're interested on to write a paper about. Um, so last semester and my comparative, or two semesters ago, in my comparative human rights class, I wrote a paper on um, infant and maternal mortality rates um, in America and how the way that we treat um, Black women and people who give birth um, and their children is a human rights issue. Um, so it's nice to be able to be supported in projects like that, that are kind of really like pushing against the way that we currently think and like, um, just the kind of, I'm looking for a word, but now I can't think of it. Like conventional? Yeah, kind of. Um, but yeah, it just challenges the way that we think. And I've always felt super supported by profs in doing things like that. So I would say that's one of my favorite things about PG. And the professors are just really entertaining. Like getting to know them one-on-one, -on -one, like they're very kind people and like very funny. So I really like the department. I also want to talk to you about your experiences with and relationships in the Department of Student Accessibility and Accommodation. Will you yeah. first, for folks listening who are like, what is that? Will you explain what the SAA office is and does? Yeah. Um, so SAA is kind of our, or not kind of, it is our accommodations office. SAA stands for um, Students Accessibility and Accommodations. So um, I have two relationships with them. So I do have accommodations as a student. And then I also work as a peer mentor for SAA. Um, so I generally work with first or second year students who um, have accommodations. And it's basically a program to help just socially adapt um, to Puget Sound and to get really like comfortable with the campus and its community. Um, that can be more difficult for certain groups of people. Like I, I was in the program myself as a first year here. Um, and because I just have social anxiety. And so they asked me, it was like the first year of the program happening. And um, it was either Ruby or Peggy that work in the office. And they're like, would you be interested in this? And I was like, sure, why not? And then my mentor really just turned into being like my big sister here. Um, and we've stayed in touch since she's really great. And I definitely benefited from it. And so it was really awesome to start doing, start be being a mentor to students my sophomore year here. Um, and has been a very like rewarding experience working with students. And can you talk a little bit about what your experience was sort of getting connected to the SAA office as a first year and figuring out what your accommodations looked like 
in college. And I'm partly asking because I work with a lot of prospective students or incoming first-year students who have kind of figured out how to be successful in high school. Like they have a structure that works for them. They have accommodations that work for them. And trying to figure out like, how do I translate all of this to a new place, to a new institution where there's kind of this real or perceived, but expectation of more independence. So I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about in practice, what, what does that actually feel like? How does it work? Yeah. Um, so I think something important is that just to know, I didn't have accommodations in K through 12. Um, so it was definitely like me realizing in high school, like I do really poorly on test when I'm stressed for time. Um, and I feel like I just can't focus even though I know the material. Um, so I knew I wanted something for testing. Um, and it, it's a very common accommodation to get time and a half or double time on exams and get to take them when we're in person in the SAA office, which is kind of like a zero stimulation or like you choose your stim kind of environment. Um, so I knew I wanted that. And then I also knew um, I had issues presenting in high school. So I wanted some sort of accommodation for pre presenting in class. Um, and then I recently got a new accommodation this past year for my chronic illness. So I guess my freshman year, I have always been someone who can advocate for myself fairly well. And I knew I wanted accommodations. And so I contacted the SAA office after I accepted um, my admittance here. And they kind of told me everything I needed to get. So you have to get like certain paperwork. Um, I got paperwork from my therapist at home. Um, and then... I gave them basically all the info that they wanted for me. And then when you're a freshman and you're at orientation, if you have kind of like made it clear to SAA that you do want or need accommodations, I, I would say it's a need, not a want. Like you want them, but because you need them, um, they make an appointment with you during orientation week and you go in and sit with Peggy and kind of go over the different accommodations um, and what's applicable to you due to like your documentation and whatnot. And totally fair if the answer to this is, I don't know, but do you know what some of the options that anybody might discuss with Peggy? Like you mentioned time and a half and testing accommodations. Are there other kind of common categories or resources? Yeah, I would say the common ones that I know of um, are like extra timing on tests. Um, there's, oh, if you need someone to take notes for you, that's very common. I have a few friends who have a note taker and I have a few friends who've gotten paid as note takers. So, um, I think it works out in everyone's favor <laughs> in that sense. Um, and then I think like depending if you have like in like a chronic illness or some sort of other disability, um, getting more extensions 
um, on projects or papers and also more allowed absences because most professors here only allow up to three absences per semester until it actually starts to affect your grade. So um, yeah, some people get like plus two more excused absences. So those are the common ones I can think of. And in practice, for you yourself, but then also for you as a peer mentor, do you notice that for folks, it like, does it feel easy? I mean, obviously any kind of bureaucratic process, there's some work involved, but mm-hmm. does it feel like accessible and like folks are supported in accommodations? Does it feel like it's kind of challenging and really takes maybe more self-advocacy than you would think? Like what's the the felt experience? Yeah. Um, I have a few different answers to this. Uh, For my personal experience, it was really easy to get accommodations because I knew I wanted them. So I like called them in April and was like, I'm going to need accommodations. And like, I talked with my um, therapist about it for a few months before. So when I asked her to write up like documentation for me, like that was good to go. So I didn't have any delays on that part. And then I was very communicative with them. And I think because I was prior to my like actual arrival at the university, um, that first week when they brought me in to talk to me, it was like a lot easier to advocate for myself because classes hadn't started yet. And um, talking to Peggy for me has been like fairly easy and welcoming. I think she's great. Um, so yeah, that's my personal experience answer. Um, for my mentees, it can be a bit harder. Some come in with certain accommodations, um, and then either like along the way, they realize they need more accommodations, um, or need to like tweak their accommodations, um, or like they didn't come in with accommodations but somehow have a relationship with SAA and then down the road want um, accommodations. And so in that sense, it can be very daunting, I've found, for students to feel comfortable to assert their needs. Um, So what I have done with a few mentees is like help them make the appointment and been like, I'm going to make this appointment with you so that you follow through or go to the meeting with them or sit outside. Um, And that usually helps. It seems like the self-advocacy to get to the point of actually requesting the accommodations is the hardest part. Um, I know some students have had some more difficulty getting their accommodations um, because it is reliant on documentation, um, which can be difficult for people to get. So I would say that's the biggest part of accommodations is like having access to getting the documentation necessary. For anybody listening to this who is thinking, I like Ruthie a lot and she sounds great. And I think I might want to be a part of the peer mentor program when I come in as a first year student. How does somebody go about getting connected to that? Yeah. So usually, um, Peggy, Ruby, or Eileen in the SAA office, all great people. Um, When you sign up 
for accommodations, um, they will usually ask if they're interested in joining the program. Um, and if they don't ask, I also know, like one of my mentees last year, their friend wanted a mentor. And so um, their friend ended up contacting SAA and then getting a mentor. So um, if you're involved in SAA, you'll usually like find out about it and they'll ask you if you want it. But if you aren't made aware, it's also something you can ask the SAA office for. So get in touch with SAA. Yes, basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. Ruthie, we end every conversation by asking the same four questions. First question is, where is your favorite place on campus? That's a hard one. But I think when, like, you could sit down, I loved Oppenheimer Cafe. Um, it was so nice to, like, just do work in there. And because I'm in the humanities and it's, like, within the science buildings, I wouldn't know as many people there as I would at, like, diversions. And so I could, like, bust out a lot of work while I was there. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Um, so for class, I'm reading Passing by Nella Larson um, for AFAM 375. And then for fun, I'm reading Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. I hope I said that right. Um, I read for fun all the time, so I always have a new book. <laughs> Where is the best place to eat in Tacoma? So I'm grain-free, which kind of complicates things a bit because I can't eat like pasta um, and that kind of stuff, which... Or, oh my God, okay. For if I wasn't grain-free, silk thai is so good. Like their pad thai, I went grain-free over the summer. So like I've had it in the past, so good. I definitely recommend it and it's so close to campus. But for being grain-free, I love Brewer's Row, which is also near campus. And that's more like Mexicali type food. And lastly, Ruthie, what makes Puget Sound special? I really think it's the connections you make with people, whether it's your professors or friends or just like people you know around campus. The community here is super tight knit and very supportive of each other. Um, and I have like appreciated that like no other, especially going through COVID. Um yeah, I think the community aspect of Puget Sound definitely makes it incredible. Ruthie McBride, thank you for joining me on the Puget Sound podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to PS, the Puget Sound podcast. If you're interested in applying to or visiting Puget Sound, you can find out more at pugetsound.edu admission. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at UNIV, U-N-I-V, Puget Sound. I'm Elena Becker, and we'll see you next time for P.S., the Puget Sound Podcast.